Hello and welcome back to another Music Preneur Movement episode. This is your host, Eddie V. Hopefully you had a great weekend. It's been a little crazy out there with Christmas shopping and traffic and all that, so hopefully you got some time to relax. Today on the show, we have a great guest, especially for those of you who are really into reality TV. Our guest today is Brianna Ruelas, who's based in Dallas. She's been on American Idol back in the day. She was a top 100 finalist. She's also been a performer and singer for 30 years. She's a songwriter. She's just really talented, and I really enjoyed her conversation. So we'll be covering a few personal things in the beginning about her college years and her hitting rock bottom. Also, we'll be talking about how to transition into preparing for a TV show and how she transitioned and prepared for American Idol. We'll also talk about the importance of mindset and mental health, the importance of not just having music as an income, but also how to have multiple streams of income and the importance of that. Also about understanding your brand and marketing, about how to find your audience, and lots of tips of how to start a career from scratch. So make sure you stick all the way to the end. There's a lot of tips and nuggets, so grab your pen and paper, take some notes. Hopefully you're not driving. If you are, just listen to it again when you get home. All right, let's do this. Cue the intro. Have you ever looked in the mirror and wondered, yikes, I thought I'd be way farther ahead of my music career by now? If so, you're not alone. I spent the last few years learning from the most ingenious musicians and managers around, looking for the answers. The problem is that music is a very personal thing and the fear of rejection was holding me back, and you can probably relate to that. I realized that no one was talking about their failures and rejections in the music business, just the glory and fame. So I decided to press the reset button and start this whole music thing over, to go all out, build a music career completely from scratch. But the real question is, how will I do it? Join me on my journey as we get to the deep questions with our guests that no one cares to ask to reveal the secret strategies and techniques to skyrocket your music career and begin to shake up the music industry as we know it. My name is Eddie Villaseca, and this is Musicpreneur Movement Podcast. Today on the show, we have Dallas-based performing artist, consultant, reality TV music coach, online course creator, and bestselling author. As a singer and performer for 30 years, she has studied internationally and performed all genres from jazz to rock to pop, received a BA in theater arts from Pepperdine University, and spent years honing her musical theater chops. After graduating college, she departed from the theater to pursue music as a solo artist, and also worked as a commercial voiceover actor. She has fronted her own rock band and experienced a reality television craze in, in its early days as a top 100 finalist on American Idol season four. Acting as a restaurant owner with husband Victor has also been a huge contributor to her entrepreneurial journey and she passes along these business strategies to her clients. She's passionate about supporting her clients to reality singing show success and leveraging that experience to ignite their music careers. So welcome, Brianna. How are you doing, Brianna? I'm doing great. How are you? Great. It's great to be here. And thank you so much for having me, Eddie. Yeah, of course. So could you get us just, I guess, started, you know, you have a lot of things that you've accomplished and have success and a lot of things with your husband. And so what is a day in the life of Brianna? 
Oh boy. Okay. Yeah. That's so funny. So you and I were talking about this a little bit at the top. I wake up super early. So we were laughing that usually by noon, you know, it's bedtime. So, um, but you know, honestly, I have three girls, my husband and I own a restaurant, but I'm also a business owner, uh, and consultant reality TV music coach, as you said, and I have just, I I'm a singer songwriter as well. So like I have a ton of, of creative passions Mm -hmm. and, you know, I literally wake up every morning at five and I, um, I get to work, but those are my genius hours. So like between five and six 30, I'm creating, I'm writing, I'm creating blogs or I'm, um, where I'm planning or scheduling or putting social media content together, marketing strategies, whatever it might be. And then 6.30, my girls wake up for school between 6.30 and nine. That's my time to get them to school. But it's also my time to, I go for a run. I have my, like, I call it my daily success ritual. So part of that daily success ritual is waking up at 5 a.m. But then in between that 6.30 to 9 a.m., I'm also going for a run. I'm meditating, I'm praying, I'm writing, whatever that might be, like on that kind of self-care level. And then by 9.30, I'm, I'm hitting it. I'm either, you know, working with clients or I'm focusing in on, on the actual business and working inside the business. Wow. That's a big, big morning. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. But that's when I'm most focused. So I always say like, those are my genius hours. And I always tell people like, there's no pressure there's not like the 5 a, they call them the 5 a.m. club. You know, it's like, there's no pressure to have to be a part of the 5 a.m. club. Look, it can be right. the 10 p.m. club. Yeah. My butt is in bed at 10 p.m. My butt <laughs> is in bed at 9 p.m. So, you know, that's, that's me. And, and so you have to, you have to really realistically look at your body's rhythm and think about when you are most creative and when you are most focused for me personally, first thing in the morning, I am most focused. And that's when I found the most success. It's, Mm -hmm. it's when I create my projects. It's when I do my online courses. It's when I write books, you know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's what I have found to be successful for me. So I always feel like why recreate the wheel? Let's, mm-hmm. let's just go with what works and do more of what works versus right. versus focusing on things that don't work. Right. And that's important that you say that because a lot of people you hear, yeah, wake up at four, wake up at super early. But yeah, I mean, everyone has different compositions of how their body works and some people are more creative at night. Those alpha waves kick in some people in the morning. So that's really great. So Pepperdine University. You went from theater arts. How did you, how did that involve into wanting to go into music? So I've been singing my entire life. Mm-hmm. And when I was growing up, musical theater was the route that I chose. So I call it, that was my vehicle into performance growing up. When I was growing up, you know, I always tell people there were not artist development programs on every corner like there are today there and there definitely wasn't the access to the World Wide web in the same way that we have today which is an incredible opportunity for so many young artists so um, that's something I did not have and musical theater was a really great opportunity for me to explore performance to grow as an actor to grow as a singer and so that's that's what I focused on growing up and 
I um, got a scholarship to Pepperdine. I studied theater arts, but by the time I was done, I was completely burned out of musical theater. I'd been doing it since I was about 10 years old. And I was ready to focus in on my first love, my first passion, which was music. And I always tell people that first year after I graduated, I always say that that's the year that I was lost in La La Land. I was 21 years old. I actually graduated a semester early from college. And I was, um, I was in party mode. Like I don't, I, I didn't really, I mean, I partied a little bit in college, like in a normal sense, mm -hmm. but I went from being super focused to like, oh my gosh, like maybe, maybe that's my gap year. Like I'll, I'll call it my gap year. Okay. <laughs> I spent a year like intoxicated the entire year. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. And it wasn't good. And I, and I tell people that that was a very, very scary, uncertain time in my life. I had zero guidance, had no idea where I was mm. going. I didn't have any mentor. I didn't have anyone telling me, Brianna, you're wasting your time. You're wasting mm. your talent. You're wasting your energy. Um, so thankfully I had a wake up call about literally about a year into it. I had a wake up call and I realized, man, I'm living in LA I have access to all of this um, between music and, you know, entertain the entertainment world, and I need to take advantage of it. So mm. around the same time, um, that's when reality singing shows and um, were kind of taken off. So American Idol had really taken off. And so I decided to audition for American Idol that season. That was season four. That was really the, the shift for me. When I auditioned for American Idol, that's when I sort of made that shift to go, oh, wow. Okay. I'm, I actually you know, it took me a while, but I got in, I got on the show and it, it made me realize, man, I, I can do this. This is, this is something I'm, I'm capable of. So if you don't mind me asking, what was the reality call that you had during that year? So, you know, it, it really hit, I just, I just hit rock bottom. I'd literally been partying every single day for, for a year. And I went out one night and the next day woke up, didn't know where I was and didn't have a car didn't have, you know, Uber wasn't around back then. Like it was just a scary situation. Mm. It, it really put me, it, it was that definite, that defining moment for me. I'll never forget it. And I, I mean, I wrote, I even wrote myself like this long letter. I wrote some friends that were close to me, some long letters to like, kind of, I mean, it was almost like my own intervention really. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And, and that, that's all it really, that's all it took thankfully, because, and it, and it was, it was primarily alcohol. You know, I was doing a, a little bit of drugs, but nothing like hard, nothing crazy. Yeah. 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 But, but it was, it was a wild, it was a wild time in my life for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's good that you were able to realize that on your own. And I'm guessing you wrote letters for people to understand what you're going through and also be able to you're accountable. Yeah. Yeah. And just also kind of share with them. I remember just sharing them with them. Like, this is not who I am. Mm -hmm. you know, I have been, th this is my behavior, but my, my behavior or my choices don't dictate or don't, or don't define mm -hmm. who I am at my core. And I knew that essentially that's, that just wasn't who I was like, yeah. ultimately, you know, yeah. I was making some poor decisions, but that didn't define Brianna. Yeah, it's really powerful. So moving on to American Idol, how did you go about preparing for that? Like why, what made you say, this is the avenue that I want to take? Yeah, so I just knew that I wanted to sing. I always tell people I never, 
at that point, I, w- I always say I was straight off the musical theater boat. So I was in performance mode. I would show up to these auditions and I'm like, hello, my name is Brianna Dulles and I'm here to sing blah, 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 right? Like total musical theater actress. <laughs> and I had no idea who I was in art as an artist. I didn't have my brand. I didn't have my vibe. I didn't have my genre. I didn't have any of that. Mm-hmm. But I knew I loved to sing and I knew that I could sing. So I looked at it as simply an opportunity to get my foot in the door and also to um, explore whether or not there was something for me there. And so as a singer, it was a great opportunity to keep singing mm-hmm. and living in L.A. because it was it's such an acting world out there. You know, uh, at the time, getting a, a record deal or getting involved with a record label seemed way out of reach. That it wasn't like it is today with the DIY movement. I mean, it mm-hmm. it it really felt like that was impossible. Mm-hmm. So American Idol felt like a door that I could put my foot in. What was that? What was that like being on stage? It was a little um, uncomfortable for me. Now looking back, if I were to go on, let's say, The Voice or do something again, mm-hmm. I would. I'm way more comfortable in front of cameras now. I do a ton of videos. I do a ton of trainings. I do I just do a lot online now. So I would be I would be way more comfortable. But the other component of that is knowing what to expect. So when I was on American Idol, I there was, you know, cameras zooming in and flying in and and all of that. And and I was not expecting that. So it really threw me off my game. And they don't tell you, okay, when the camera's zooming in, look into the camera or, you know, you've got Randy, Randy, Paula and Simon sitting in front of you while you're in the Hollywood rounds and you've got all these cameras flying in and you're like, uh, what do I do? And Uh yeah, like there's so many things (laughs) that can go wrong because you're distracted by like the production, mm-hmm. you know, there's just a lot of things that you just don't prepare for. And um, that is, that's definitely, you know, something that I talk about inside my book as well, because I feel if you have an opportunity to mentally, physically, everything, just be prepared, you're going to be able to perform at your top, at your, mm-hmm. at your utmost highest level. And that's the goal. The goal is to be able to get on that stage and execute what you've prepared versus get on stage your mind goes blank you forget all your lyrics you fumble on your notes you cry whatever that might be your focus is broken so you want to get to a point where you get on stage and you're like laser focused and you execute and I did not do that well during the show like I I failed miserably in that area so I like to prepare my clients and anyone that I'm working with for that so that they don't make the same mistakes I do or I did. Yeah. That's really, yeah. I mean, I hadn't thought about that being not only being nervous because you're in front of a lot of people and you've also been, you know, having to be around your peers who are wanting to sing and having to focus with all these distractions, knowing which cameras and all those things and having judges in front of you. If you don't have the right mentality, right mindset, right focus, like you're saying, that's got to be pretty tough. Yeah, no, it's it's a, a mind mess. It's yeah. a mind mess. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So what are, I guess, with your book, which your first one came out three years ago. Yeah, okay. maybe maybe even like 
we like we might be on the three year anniversary. I should probably put something on social media that says happy anniversary <laughs> performing artist pathway. Yes. Yeah. Three years ago in November, I, I published my first book, Performing Artist Pathway. And what was what led you towards writing that book? So at the time, I was a music director for a school here in Richardson, and I was working with a lot of bands and a lot of artists on their stage performance, on their vocals as a vocal coach and performance coach. And well, I realized in these sessions is that in addition to, you know, doing my best to train them on proper vocal technique or really compelling stage, you know, movement and things like that and performance, I was also spending my time breaking through barriers mentally for them. And I would say that these sessions would sometimes turn into these like, you know, like I was a psychologist or something, you know, like it, it would turn into these like therapy sessions because what would happen is these kids, these young kids would come into my room and they would be like, just shut down, like completely shut down. So how are you going to sing? How are you going to perform? How are you going to, when I say execute, how are you going to execute the song in the same way you would do it on stage? If you're sitting there clearly like jacked up in the head, you know? So what I would do is I would kind of like hone in on, okay, what exactly is going on? And I would kind of get to the bottom of it. And then I realized like, man, no one talks about the real life highs and lows that we go through as artists and as creatives. There's so much out there that talks about how to sing or how to play guitar. No one talks about how to navigate the highs and lows of your creative or your performing artist journey, right? So that was really the premise behind it. And the why behind it is I wanted other artists out there to know that they're not alone. They are not unique in their pain and their suffering and their frustration. We all have been through it in some form or capacity. Some of us have more tragic stories than other, but we all have them. So it's really a practical guide for navigating life as a performing artist. And it takes you from audition prep to even like networking and marketing and things like that. So that was, that was the premise behind it. I, I talk in depth about my American Idol experience. I talk about my American Idol experience uh, a little bit more inside the second book, but I don't go as in depth in the second book mm -hmm. uh, because I've already covered it in the first book. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I start. That's why I wrote the first book. And uh, I have a lot of uh, industry experts contributing their top tips for any artists who are really looking to make this a sustainable career for themselves, ranging from, you know, stylists to producers to BMI, you know, Grammy winning artists. Mm. So yeah, it's, it, it was a really great project and it was a really beautiful experience to, to put out. Yeah. Like you're saying, mindset, no one really goes into that. But then the thing you keep seeing is people dealing with could be mental health type of issues or, you know, any kind of thing that goes on because people don't really talk about that and they're not as open. They don't know how to constrain certain things and be able to manage them. And I feel like that's really important for people to understand that it's also a mental. I feel like most of it is probably mental. Oh, yeah. No, I totally agree. And I would say this, like when I wrote that book three years ago, I would say between then and now. There is a lot more talk about mental health mm -hmm. and self-care. 
mm-hmm. a lot more in the music space, mm-hmm. right? People are talking about it a lot more, which I'm really thrilled to see. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the the whole book opens up with conducting a personal inventory. Like what is working in your life? What is not? Keep what's working, trash what's not, you know, and really taking the time to identify what um, what is good, bad and ugly. But I always say like, that's the hard work that no one wants to do. And a lot of musicians and artists don't value that hard work, don't value the soul, I call it the soul work. They don't value it because they don't see the correlation between that and their business or that and selling songs, selling music, getting getting more fans, all of these things. What I share is that they're very, they're interconnected because if you can handle the self-care aspect and be highly in tune with who you are and how you can operate at your highest level, then that's going to translate in your music. It's going to translate in your engagement with your fans. You're going to present an authentic artist, an authentic self that fans are going to resonate with and fans are going to feel compelled by. They're going to be motivated by. They're going to be inspired by. But you can't do any of that with your fans. And then that that will that will lead to growth. That will lead to growth and real relationships with real fans that want to support your music journey. If you don't start at the foundation, which is doing that hard soul work, you will have a very difficult time getting to the the authentic fan growth where they're really excited to be a part of your journey and support you. What came to mind was um, there's a Kobe Bryant interview. I don't know how long ago, but he talks about how he will look at videos, you know, like film and things like that of past games that he's lost. And because he knows he's going to be in that same situation again with that same team, same opponent. And so he wants to improve on those areas because he knows he's going to be there again. And he mentioned how it's tough. Like no one wants to relive the hard times that happened when they lost, you know, the championship or, whatever it may be. But in order to grow, like you're saying, you have to be able to take those moments and then see what went right, what went wrong. How can you fix it? So that, cause you're going to be there again, you know, with performers, you're going to be on stage again in front of fans again. So how can you improve? Like you're saying, how can you grow uh, each time? So yeah, I completely agree. And with that, what are some common mistakes that you've seen your clients make or new artists things like that, something that they keep coming back to? I don't know that I would classify it as a mistake, but something that has really come up since the pandemic would be the the sole reliance on live gigs and shows to be their only bread and butter. Mm-hmm. And if we're looking at this, you know, trying to create sustainability in the music, as in your music career, as a music business, et cetera, you know, learning that, you know, you have to have multiple streams of income. And I think that this pandemic has really just put a light on that. Even though I've said it a gazillion times to my clients, they're now realizing, oh, 
man, okay, this makes sense now because it's real. Like it actually impacts them. Whereas before they could, they could just try to get five gigs a week or four gigs a week or whatever it was, pay their bills, make it happen. Mm -hmm. And they're hustling and they're working hard. And, and not to say, you know, we're not working hard. A lot of us are probably working harder than we've ever worked. Right. Mm -hmm. But because we're shifting and we're, we're exploring new avenues and new ways to, to make this work. But I would say having multiple streams of income is, is very, very important. And you have to identify every artist is different. So every, you know, if we want to look at four or five streams of income, every, everyone's five is going to be look different because we are all different human beings and our gifts and talents, talents are different. So that would be one. And I'd say the other one would be, you know, really minimizing the importance of understanding your brand and, and, having a strong marketing strategy. I think that a lot of artists are scared of marketing because it feels icky. Like they want to be really connected to the project, to the music and social media falls under that. You know, a lot of, a lot of artists can't stand social media. Well, Hey, I feel you. However, social media is a free platform and a free opportunity for you to have free advertising. So, you know, why don't you create a strategy or plan that works for you that's consistent so that when you do have projects or when you do have music releases or launches, you know, Instagram doesn't, you know, flag it because you haven't been engaging or active in six months, but suddenly you have a project. So you're posting every day to tell people about your project. Right. So I think that the whole marketing and branding and just the business side of it, as it pertains to that is really scary for a lot of artists. So I see them, I don't want to say giving up, but I see them just ignoring it, like flat out ignoring that they even need it. And the truth is you need it. You need it. (laughs) Yeah, I completely agree with that one. Um, have you ever seen um, Songland? Yes. Okay. So one of the coaches is Esther Dean, and she posted something yesterday, I guess an article that she did uh, with a magazine in Australia. So this is her talking to songwriters, and she mentions how they need to look at their songwriting as a product and as a business, like you're saying. You know, so you wouldn't come to, you can't say, she was saying, you can't be a, you can't call yourself a songwriter if you don't have a product. Like people are going to ask, okay, where's your product? So that really got to me. I was like, okay, with any other business, you look for a product. You know, if you can't, you're like, hey, I sell candles. Okay, where's your product? That's something you have to show a person. That just got me thinking in a completely different way. Absolutely. It everyone has a product and the artist, the artist is the product or the music is the product or yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, the nature of the biz. That's been really interesting for me. Cause I, I mean, I keep seeing it often too, where people don't know, you know, about publishing or about royalties and things like that. They think someone else can take care of it, but you're the, the person that cares about it the most. They should care about it the most. It's your, your little baby. So it's good that, you know, you're making people aware of that. And with your second book, what are certain things that you talk about in in that book? Yeah. So my second book is Make Reality TV Your Reality. So this is a copy of that. Mm -hmm. And by the way, um, both of my books can be found on Amazon, uh, Performing Artist Pathway and Make Reality TV Your Reality. 
Make Reality TV Your Reality is for performing artists, musicians who have ever thought, maybe I want to go on a reality singing show like The Voice or American Idol or even America's Got Talent. And this book takes you through not only the audition prep. So I always classify it as like three stages. You have the pre-audition prep. So you're, you've got that pre-time where you're preparing to go audition, right? The audition prep stage. Then the middle stage would be the performance stage slash get the chair turn, get the yes, continue through the audition process. Like, you know, cause there's stages, there's, there's different stages that you got to progress through before you actually get on the show. So that would be the middle section. And then the last part of the puzzle, which is equally important is you got on the show. Now what? So I dive in very deep on how you can leverage the platform, the reality singing show platform to springboard your music career. So long after the show is behind you, because we all know they're going to keep filming these puppies. They're going to keep rolling them out. And once your season is over, people are going to forget about you. So this is a way that you can actually leverage the screen time that you got. This is a way to leverage the platform and the experience, even if you don't get on screen, even if you don't get on television so that you can maximize it. And no matter when your time ends on the show, you can really take advantage of the opportunity and allow it to give you momentum inside your own music career. So things are some top business strategies that I cover would be, for example, when you get on the show, make sure before you go on the show that you've at least created or started some sort of email list so that when you when you get on the show and millions of eyes and ears are on your new, you know, voice, your, your, your message, whatever it is, right. They're on you for the very first time. And they go to follow you on Instagram. First of all, can they find you? Okay. Are you discoverable? Do you have some random name on Instagram? Like kitty cat five, you know, are they even, (laughs) that was my old name. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Are they going to be able to find you? And then let's say they do find you and they go to your profile page. Let's hope it's a business page. And let's hope you have a link there, either a link tree or a single link where you can connect with them. And that's where the email list comes into play because plenty of people out there will say email is outdated. I never check my emails. I never this, I never that. Okay. But here's the thing. If you look at any of those email statistics, they far outweigh any sort of visual or online presence or, you know, interaction that you would get on social media. That's not paid. That's Mm -hmm. free or organic. And secondly, you own your email list. They can take down Instagram or Facebook at any time, but at the end of the day, you have an opportunity to say, thank you for following me. I want to keep in touch and I want you to continue hanging out with me on this music journey and boom, you've got fans that are interested in checking you out long after the show's over. So those are all things that are really important. I cover inside my book exactly how to do that. In addition to making sure that you are discoverable, that you have a social or that you have a web, that you have web authority, that you have a footprint, a digital footprint so that you're discoverable and people can find you. And I talk a lot about the importance of having a really cohesive Uh, social media engagement plan before you go on the show. You want people to take you seriously. So I dive into all of that inside my book because how many times have you 
seeing a reality singing show and maybe there was someone on there that was really good and then they disappear. The show ends and you're like, you never hear from them again. Yeah. The reason why that happens is because they're not prepared. They're not ready for it. They freak out or they're totally overwhelmed or they just didn't put everything in place. So they basically missed, they missed an opportunity mm-hmm. to engage with the 9,000 or however many new Instagram fans that they just got overnight because, you know, they're mm-hmm. audition aired or their song aired or their blind, their battle round aired or whatever it might be. Okay. These, a lot of these artists go on these shows and they never do anything ever again in music. Like they never, because they think, oh, I didn't win it. I guess music's not for me. And that is so far from the truth. This is a beginning. It's not an end, period. That one keyword that you said, opportunity, you know, you don't want to miss opportunities. You know, you might never get the same one again. And so you always want to be prepared for when that does happen. And that's something my dad always taught me since I was little. He's like, you never know who you're going to run into, you know, what's going to happen. Like Joyce, you always want to be ready. And that's, that's right. That's really powerful what you said. You mentioned you still do songwriting and you still follow the, you know, the creative side on that side with your songwriting. What are some challenges that you've come across for yourself knowing all these things that you're coaching your clients on? Are there certain things that you've come across as a songwriter that you've seen maybe, oh, hey, I'm struggling with the same things that I'm coaching my artist on? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... I would say as far as the songwriting, and maybe it's not necessarily on the songwriting side of things, but more on like YouTube or, you know, like I really want to grow my YouTube. My clients really want to grow their YouTube. Like how, how do we really grow it in a, in a way that's, that's organic and real, mm-hmm. you know, identifying, and I'd say the other thing is like identifying those fans, like going out and finding the people who are your people. It's the same thing for me as a coach. I want to go out there and I want as many artists who are interested in auditioning for reality scene show. I want to talk to them mm-hmm. because I know I can help them mm-hmm. and I'm excited to help them. And I have a $16 book that's a lot cheaper than, you know, a three month coaching package with me. And that's why I wrote this because I wanted everyone to have access to this information. But for me, the challenge is how do I get this book in all of those hands? Right. And so Mm -hmm. I'm figuring that out as an artist, you're figuring out, I wrote this song. I have this music. I know this can impact people. I know this can make a difference. How do I get this song into as many homes, phones, whatever Mm -hmm. as possible. And there are so many different platforms that people can use to try and make that happen. Right. And so it's like navigating all of the new digital platforms to, to expand or to make the biggest music impact possible. I think that's challenging because there is, it's almost diluted. Like the entire Everything is diluted because you're not sure. It, you have to spend an, an ample amount of time testing each one to see what's the best fit for you. And that, that takes time and people want things overnight. So, you know, I think, that's, I think it's a challenge for everyone, whether you're a coach, whether you're a producer, whether you're a songwriter, whether you're an artist, whatever it might be. I think 
navigating the climate right now, the digital world is, is challenging because yeah. it changes every day. It feels like. Yeah. And what are, you touched on this, what are certain ways someone could go about finding their audience or even knowing who their audience is? You know, most people think, Hey, yeah. this is the music that I want to make. People are going to come to me, which I mean, part of that is true, but there's also that other side. You got to go where they are. Um, what are certain tips that you Yes, you yes. have to find them for sure. Yeah, I have an online course all about this. Um, and it's based off performing artist pathway. And I also talk a lot about this inside make reality TV or reality as well. But one of the things that I do with all of my clients, so if you're one of my private clients, I take you through this exercise, and we call it the ideal fan uh, exercise. And ultimately, what you're doing is you're actually breaking down, you're not just breaking down the demographics, but you're breaking down the psychographics. You're breaking down their um, their interests. You're breaking down what they spend their money on, you know, where they hang out. You know, you're breaking down all of that information. And then once you have that, you're also coupling it with analytics. So you're looking into your social media, you're looking into Facebook, you're looking into Instagram, and you're taking advantage of the free analytics that they give you. And you are, um, you know, that's one way. And that's, that's a big way that I usually do. And then ne the, the next step or that you take it that next step further. And if you really want to start growing your audience, there are organic strategies, but a lot of times you have to be willing to put a few dollars behind it because organic growth on social media is down to 1%, one to 2% tops. And the 2% is, is when you are consistently posting and engaging and doing all the things that Facebook and Instagram deem as important. Mm. So if you're not doing those things, then you're lucky to have 1% organic reach of your followers. So, you know, that's not a lot of followers seeing your posts. Yeah. And it's really important that you take that you're a aware of that, but it's important that you do what you can to at least maximize the organic reach and start creating a little budget for yourself monthly to put some dollars behind posts that are important so that you can get out there. I, I, I'd say the other thing that's really helped me is hashtags. A lot of people don't know how to use hashtags. I enrolled in a hashtag course. I learned a lot of really cool things mm -hmm. and I have seen my growth um, totally increase simply due to hashtags. And I know that because I can go in the analytics and I can see what hashtag, you know, how many people saw the post due to hashtags, all of those things. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting to me. I, I, I definitely undervalued the importance of hashtags. I think the other important thing is making sure that you are choosing hashtags that are going to help you to be dis discoverable. Yeah. And again, I guess choosing hashtags that your audience is related yes. to and all those things. What what are they typing in? What are mm -hmm. they searching? Yeah. Absolutely. So I guess going along with that, when is an artist ready to start building their audience? Like now. Or they even have any let's songs? go. Totally. Hundred percent. And this is what I say. If you're new and I've I've started with new artists and it's a lot of fun. Like I absolutely love starting with artists who are just ground zero. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because what we do is 
I mean, I take them from ground zero to, you know, website and fans and engagement and social media growth within that year. Like it's like night and day. It's, it's yeah. a brand, a marketing strategy, a social media strategy, all of that. It happens. It happens over a year or six months or whatever it is. Right. Mm -hmm. It takes time, but it's a, it's really a joy. What I tell these new artists is you can think about who you want your fans to be. You can think about artists that are, that you're similar to who are their fans. You want to start targeting their fans, right? Ooh. And start following, you know, figuring out how you can get in front of their fans because chances are if they like that artist, they're going to like you and your music, right? So I would say get started now if you're songwriting. So I should preface that. If you're songwriting, if you know your vibe, if you know the vibe that you want, that you're headed, like if you know the direction you're headed, you know what you're creating, you know what you're on your, you know, on your way to do, then you can start, you know, going after that right away. And you can yeah. let people know, hey, I'm, cause you can be doing covers. You can be building fans by doing covers and you can let them know new music is coming. Original music is coming. Okay. So don't let that hold you back from building a posse. Do you know, if you start building, you know, a fan base now before you've even released music, you know how excited they're going to be when you finally release some music because yeah. you've actually taken the time to engage with them and you're building that rapport and you're building authentic engagement. And they can even say, Hey, I was there before he made it or she made it. Yes. Everybody loves that. I remember I saw Dave Matthews back in 1994 mm -hmm. at the tiny little Fair Park band shell. There was a hundred of us at that concert. Like mm -hmm. it was tiny. I was like right there and I'm like, oh my God. And now I'm like, Dave Matthews, <laughs> you know, it's huge. Yeah. They should remember you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what are some fun things, I guess, like every day, something fun that you get to do with your clients that you really enjoy? You know, for me, I... I really love creating opportunities for them to perform. My husband and I own a restaurant. As we talked about, we own Victor Hugo's in Dallas. So I was in charge and responsible for booking artists there on a monthly basis. We did what we call an acoustic Friday um, night where we're featuring acoustic uh, performers and performances. And um, I also was booking artists. Um, a lot of times I like to book my clients at other venues as well. So to me, it's really fun to give them opportunities like that. Mm -hmm. And I would say, you know, something else I really enjoy is um, just being able to see the light bulbs go off. You know, when we're talking about a marketing strategy or a social media strategy, typically they're afraid of that. Like that mm -hmm. sounds like really painful and no bueno, you know? And so when I get in there with them and I start connecting the pieces and you know, putting that together for them and they realize, oh, this isn't so painful. This isn't so hard. Okay. Yeah, I can totally do that. And then they start seeing the fruits of that because they're being consistent. They're engaging, like they're seeing, they're seeing the growth. They're seeing, you know, their new fans engage and, you know, join the party basically. Mm -hmm. So that's exciting for them. And, and so I really, I absolutely love seeing um, and celebrating the mini wins, the big wins, the small successes, all of those things with my clients. I really love it. Wow. That's really exciting. So now with COVID, you mentioned pre-COVID, you would 
book gigs? What are some things that they're, you're focusing on them now performance-wise? Yeah, so the performance stuff has really taken a backseat. I mean, a lot of, at first, we were doing a lot of virtual performances, but I, I also feel like that got pretty diluted as well. Mm-hmm. Really, the focus shifted on creating. So creating content, creating strategies, and taking this time to make sure that what you're putting out there is excellent, mm-hmm. is top-notch, right? Top-notch content because we don't need to be putting out junk. There's plenty of junk out there. Let's put out content that's really excellent. So that has been a big shift for us and also focusing in on like the education piece and focusing in on even like rebranding. What is the marketing strategy going to be moving forward? What is the look and the aesthetic and the vibe going to be moving forward? Has anything changed? Taking this time to settle into whatever that new um, vision looks like. Crazy to see how everyone has shifted performance. Now people are really actually focusing on really good content. Yeah. So if you were to start over, I just started thinking about this. If you were to start over, where would you go first as an artist, songwriter? Yeah. I mean, I think if I were to start over... I would have gotten a coach or like support. I had a vocal coach, but I would have gotten a business coach. I would have minored in business. Like, let's first talk about that. I was a theater major and that's lovely, but I wish somebody would have told me to be a business minor or to even have a minor at all. I didn't even have a minor. Mm. Um, So there's really small little things like that, that I would have changed. Um, I also, like I said, the coach, the coach and mentor piece is really important. I would have found someone who was doing what I wanted to do or maybe interned at a record label or, you know, just to learn more about it. Because I really, again, I thought it was a very elusive thing. I didn't, the thought of having an opportunity at a record label. And I mean, I was living in LA, Capitol Records is right there. You know, I mean, I think I was afraid. Well, I was afraid to walk through those doors and for them to, pretty much call me a joke and no thank you because I wasn't Dave Matthews or whoever, whatever the band was at the time, you know, there's something to be said about being fearless. And at the end of the day, you have nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. If it's something that's important to you, then figure out how to make it happen. It's possible. And that's something that I know now, like the difference between my 41 year old self and my 22 year old self or my 20 year old self or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. I was afraid. I mean, I didn't appear to be afraid, but I was, I was afraid that I would never make it. I was afraid I would be a failure. I was afraid that I would be washed up. I was afraid that I'd have to like teach the rest of my life or something like that. You know, now I realize I am a, I am a teacher at heart, but I'm also an art. I'm all the things. I'm also an artist. I'm also a performer. I'm also a singer and a songwriter. I'm also a mom. I'm also an entrepreneur, right? So I've really embraced all the things that uniquely make me, me. And that's when I'm able to step into my power. And I think that that's what every artist must do. They must realize that they have all of these beautiful things that make them uniquely them. Right. Mm -hmm. And they must own it. It wasn't until I really started owning the fact that I'm an entrepreneur. I mean, I, Three years ago, I wrote this book. Six years ago, we opened our restaurant. Before that, I was nine to five at an advertising sales firm for ABC National TV sales. 
I had no idea I was going to be an entrepreneur and own two businesses and be a coach. No, I, mean, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. That was, that was only, I mean, that was only six years ago. Mm-hmm. To me, that's incredible that within a short span of time and six years might sound like a lot, a long time to others, but my life has completely flipped upside down in the past six years in the most beautiful, unexpected way. Yeah. And now I'm like in the past two years, I'd say in the past two years, I have gone from like 50% owning it to 100% owning it. And that has made all the difference. That's really powerful. There's a lot of truth in all of that. And interesting because I feel like most of us listen to other people when it comes to our dreams. We always compare it to, okay, what does that person think about what I want to be doing? And, you know, most people don't end up trusting themselves. It's really interesting because this year, my wife and I are trying new businesses. We're trying to do things we've been wanting to do. And one of the things I was telling her is how you have to believe in yourself, really trust that you can do it. Otherwise, if you start doubting, you're like, okay, well, I have this as a backup. I have this job. I have this thing. But if you really trust yourself and you really believe that you can do it, you know, like you're saying, it made all the difference when you went 100% into believing that. And so that's, that's really amazing, all the things you were able to accomplish. Yeah. With self-belief, right? With self-belief, you are unstoppable. Without it, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, right? Yeah. And, and so many people underestimate that they're capable. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you were just to say every single day, I am capable, like I can do this or I can mm-hmm. figure this out, or maybe this is challenging, but a challenge equals an opportunity to grow you know, and step into my awesomeness. Right. So, but you got to own it. And it's really important to step into it and and to not be afraid. And Mm -hmm. it's okay. My look, this is not what I imagine my, I mean, I literally went into the studio to record my first original song. I've been songwriting for years, never recorded an original song. And last week I went into studio to record my first original song with my producer. Mm -hmm. That was a dream come true for me. I've been wanting my entire life to do that. And it it took me 41 years. (laughs) So it's a long game. And at the end of the day, you know, I had these big dreams in high school of me performing on Broadway, me being in New York, Broadway, all the things, right? So my dreams today look so different than they looked at the beginning of my career. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And Mm -hmm. I just think that as artists and as creatives, we need to be okay that maybe our dreams have shifted and maybe they're not exactly the same as they were when we were young or when we first began the journey, mm-hmm. but they're still our dreams. So you have mm-hmm. to evaluate, well, what is still true for me? Mm-hmm. How do I, how do I want to show up now? My life is different. I've evolved. I'm a different person, whatever that might be. Yeah, I can still dream and I can still attack, you know? So just always remembering that dreams shift, ebb and flow, and that is completely okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I just picture the just the ocean, and I mean, there are gonna be times when it's up, when it's down, and I feel like it's really hard for people to believe in themselves when everything's really low, and you want to go back to the things you used to be doing. And yeah, I mean, like we were talking about, just believing in yourself enough to get through those tough times. And then on the other side, it's going to be way better. Yeah. And, and keep taking action. Like mm-hmm. just don't stop. 
evaluate what's not working and don't keep doing the stuff that's not working, but, mm-hmm. but keep putting one foot in front of the other because that's totally normal. Yeah. It's going to happen. Expect it, right? Expect mm-hmm. those challenges, mm-hmm. that resistance, but you make the choice no matter what to not give up, mm-hmm. to not quit. In one of the previous episodes, I was mentioning how, I don't know, I guess I keep going back to my basketball examples. So Michael Jordan, I think he was like 53 or 54% his whole career percent accuracy from the field. So out of 100 shots, 54 would go in. And it's interesting because he's, you know, you know him as one of the greatest basketball players, if not the greatest that some people would say. But he never knew which shots were going to go in. You know, he just kept shooting and shooting. And it's the same thing with life, I feel like. And you don't know what opportunities are going to keep going or are going to happen. And you just have to keep shooting that ball. And at the end of the year or five years, 10 years, your whole life, you know, you're going to end up winning, but you might not know, you know, a certain day might be a bad day, but overall, like the whole percentage could be a really winning percentage, kind of like Michael Jordan. Like he could have had some bad games. He had some game winning shots that he didn't make. He kept going. And that's something I think people don't realize that just because you're having a bad day, but if you kind of like you're saying, if you keep going, you know, there might be 20 days in a row that you do well, and then a couple that don't go so well, but as long as you keep going. So that's really cool that you said that. And what goals do you have coming up within the 12 to 24 months? For me, I am going to be focused on getting my latest bestseller, mm-hmm. Make Reality TV Your Reality, in as many hands as possible. And I am also going to be doing an audiobook for Make Reality TV Your Reality. So I'll be releasing the audiobook in 2021. I'll be releasing that single, that original song in oh, 2021. Yeah? yeah. Nice. And I'm also looking at some other opportunities with podcasting and potentially creating a really cool opportunity and virtual conference. So I have a few things on the horizon that I'm really, really excited about, but Mm -hmm. the focus is the same to just keep creating opportunities to connect with artists and really support them in their music journey. Wow. That sounds really cool. And what kind of genre is the the song in? Uh, We'll see. I, you know, my, my vibe is, is usually like soulful pop rock, you know, Uh but at the same time, this is a piano ballad. So I, I'm waiting to hear how it all shakes out. Mm-hmm. You know, I, at this point, I, I really don't know how I'm going to release it. So I'm, I'm actually very, very excited to figure that out myself. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's, what's fun about music. Like you can have, you know, just kind of like you just have the song and then things just end up coming together. So that's yeah. really cool. I'm excited to hear it. Do you have a name for it or not yet? Yes, it's called Thieves. Thieves. Nice. Uh-huh. Thieves in the Night. Yeah, Ooh. no, it's called Thieves. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So as part of the show, I'd like to ask some quick mixer lightning round questions to get okay. to know you a little bit better. So are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do All it. All right. So what was your first car? My first car was a Nissan Sentra. Yeah? What what year was it? Oh, gosh. Oh. <laughs> I don't know, 90, 90, 
I don't know. It was so there was a couple of Nissan Sentras in my family. The first one I thought I think I started driving was the red two door hatch hatchback. Mm-hmm. And that was probably back in 95. My guess it was maybe in 90, mm-hmm. I guess. And then there was the four door Nissan Sentra. And then there was a Mazda Protege. And I'm pretty sure that was a 94. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys are big Sentra family. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Uh, what is an instrument you wish you could play? Piano. Piano? Okay. Yeah. That one. would be nice. And what is a superpower you wish you had? I wish I could fly. That would be 100%. But, what I, okay. I love that. That's a good I, I dream of flying. So. <laughs> Save on uh, airline tickets. <laughs> yeah. If you could have a song play every time you enter a room, what would it be? Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. Um, uh, there's this new song called Together mm-hmm. on the radio, um, and it's on Christian radio. It's got Kirk Franklin in it. And um, who's the other artist that's in it? Oh, my gosh. I'm going to this is going to make me crazy if I don't. I'm going to look real quick. King and Country and Tori Kelly. King Mm. and Country, Tori Kelly and Kirk Franklin. And it's like full on, like got the gospel choir in the back. And it's like, if you're looking for hope tonight, (laughs) you know what I mean? And it's like, it's amazing. It just it kind of makes you go kind of dance a little like sidestep. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good, though. It gets me. It gets me. You dance that with your daughters. Yeah. I do. And and when I go on runs, like you can see me kind of like in yeah, the like streets with my hands up. Yes. <laughs> the Rocky song, you know what I mean? Like Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. I love it. Okay, so together. Um, and what is the secret talent that you have? A secret talent that I have. Mm-hmm. I can I can talk like the I think they're called the lollipop keel from <laughs> The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. You're gonna prove it? Yes, I can. I don't think I've ever done this, just so you know. (laughs) (laughs) Just an exclusive, people. This is an exclusive. Okay. This is embarrassing, but it's awesome. Everyone be quiet. Okay. We represent the lollipop kill, the lollipop kill, the lollipop kill. And in the name of the lollipop kill, we wish to welcome you to Munchkin Land. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Oh, Impressive, man. Right? I like the faces you made. Yes. Uh, right to the, to the side. <laughs> Hello. Huh. <laughs> yeah, it's so embarrassing. Uh, that's super funny. Um, so these two are a little longer. Um, but what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? I would say my grandfather sharing with me a story he calls the horse stable theory. And he shared with me that when we are trying to create something or when we are trying to be something in our lives that we need to be able to see it very, very clearly. And it goes back to when he was building a horse stable on his ranch in California that he had to visualize very clearly what that horse stable looked like before he could start constructing it and building it. And so for our lives, it's the parlay of saying, where do you want to be? Who do you want to be? What action do you want to take? How do you envision and see your life? And I, and I like to say, like, it's not just what does it look like, but what does it feel like? You know, so having a very, very clear idea of where you're headed is extremely important for your success. And that's what I value from this conversation with my grandfather. Wow. That's, yeah. I mean, I'm always going to have that picture in my head now. Just a stable. 
Yeah. And I talk about the horse table theory inside my first book, Performing Arts Pathway, because it was, it's definitely a a very profound conversation that I had with him, mm-hmm. you know, probably in, in college, you know, he, he was a very wise man, but there was a few conversations that we had. I, the second thing that he told me, which I've been telling my kids since they were really young, because no one told me this until I was like 19 years old, was that the world does not revolve around you. Brianna, the world does not revolve around you. And I thought, well, I know that. Of course it doesn't revolve around me. But then I realized, he goes, no, 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 Brianna, the world doesn't revolve around you. And I realized, oh, now I get it. Because everything that I was doing in my life, I was expecting others to bend over backwards for what I wanted to make happen. And that's just not how it works. It's not It's not the Brianna show, right? right. But it's also, the other flip to that is, we're put on this earth to serve others, to give our mm-hmm. gifts, to share our talents, to support, to uplift, to whatever that is, right? Mm-hmm. We're not put on this earth to be served. Yeah. We're put on this earth to give mm-hmm. and to, to, to share of our gifts and talents, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the other kind of component of the world does not revolve around you. It's like, yeah. look, stop, stop waiting to be served. Stop waiting for other people to do everything for you. Like get mm-hmm. out there and make your mark and do something for others. Yeah. Wow. That's a really good advice. And what is the worst piece of advice you ever received? Ooh, the worst piece of advice. Say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. So many people think they should say yes to everything, but I disagree. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of things can be very distracting and that if there's an opportunity in front of you that you need to be very intentional and discern whether it serves you and your overall goals and where you're headed because not every opportunity is for you. So I think saying no is actually very empowered. Yeah. Wow. We actually have an episode that we did called uh, the power of saying no. And we, (laughs) we actually talk about just that, like how going back to your first advice where you mentioned, you know, your grandpa and, how you got to have that vision. If something doesn't align with it, you know, it's okay to say no, because that's not where your vision aligns. And I feel like, you know, with COVID, that that's one of the good things that has come. Like it's been a lot easier for people to say no, because there are not that many distractions. You know, you can say, hey, what? I want to go out. There's a pandemic out there. What do you got to do my kind of focus? So yeah, definitely agree on that. And so if someone were to want to talk to you, get your books, all that good stuff. Where would, where would they go? Perfect. So follow me, DM me, reach out to me at Brianna Rellas Music on Instagram and Facebook. That's B-R-I-A-N-N-A-R-U-E-L-A-S Music, Brianna Rellas Music on both Facebook and Instagram. Or you can check me out at BriannaRellasMusic.com. And both of my books, Make Reality TV Your Reality and Performing Artist Pathway, are on Amazon. So definitely pick up your copy. And by the way, if you're listening to this podcast right now, and maybe you're not an artist or musician that's interested in going on a reality singing show or whatever, you probably know someone who <laughs> wants to do that. So that's this is a perfect gift for them as well. So be thinking about not just yourself, but be thinking yeah, about others exactly. that you gift these awesome books to. Yeah, it's not about you. <laughs> yeah it's not about you it's not about you um and how can i be praying for you oh thank you wow i really appreciate that you can you know 
I think that 2021 is going to continue to be challenging uh, in the restaurant space and the music industry space. So um, for me specifically, I'm going to be shifting a lot for in the music industry and doing a lot of different things. Um, but I am more concerned about the restaurant industry. So, you know, if you'd like to pray for our restaurant and pray for that, you know, just for sustainability during this challenging time, that would mean a lot. Yeah. Thank you. That's really kind. Yeah, of course. Sorry. Okay. All right. And we just want to get through this, you know? Exactly. So yeah. I feel like, you know, we're just almost there, almost there. But I'm going to pray for you real quick and then I'll let you go. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Kiro, thank thank you, you for today. And thank you for the opportunity to get to talk to Brianna and for our friendship. And I pray that you continue to take care of her, provide for her um, and her family, her three daughters. I pray that you also take care of the restaurant. Um, I pray that you provide the right opportunities, the right people around them uh, to continue to do that and something that they enjoy doing. Um, I also pray that you open and close the proper doors for her in the music industry um and i pray that she continues to bless other people through what you've given her and we pray all these things in jesus thank you well, thank you so much for coming on and thank yeah, you for having me i really appreciate it and it's been a real joy getting to know you better today yeah it's been lots of good nuggets today so hopefully we'll have you back and catch up on your new song once it comes out that'd be really fun so, awesome i'd love that yeah and we'll talk to you soon okay thanks eddie wasn't that great? If you learned something, make sure you share this episode with someone you care about. If you have any further questions, you can message us on Instagram at Movement, And also make sure you subscribe to the podcast because there will be many great episodes coming up. So we'll see you next week.